0: You're listening to On The Whistle, the podcast that explores the impact that coaches, teachers, and mentors from youth sports organizations and schools have on young people's lives. Let's get into the show. All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of On The Whistle. Some people in their experience with sports hope to get coached to become a better person. Some people hope to get coached to become a great athlete. What happens when both of those things happen together? Today on our show, we're lucky to have Dan Copen. Dan is a two-time Super Bowl champion for the New England Patriots as center. Lucky number 67 uh, stood in front of Tom Brady. So, Dan, uh, super excited to have you on the show and to talk about mentorship and, and your journey.
1: No, Gary, uh, I appreciate you having me on. And,
0: uh,
1: you know, it's one of those things where yeah, you talk about the sports side of it and, you know, leadership and being coached in the right way but a lot of those things that you get from football just apply to real life and uh in your businesses and your families um your personal life and it's just all intertwined so it's a great subject and i'm happy to be here and and, you know let's let's get rolling
0: cool so take us back in time i think if i read if i recall you grew up in the midwest somewhere
1: Uh, i was born in iowa my dad worked for John Deere uh, for 35, 40 years before he retired. So uh, we moved around a little bit when I was younger, but uh, born in Iowa, lived in Wisconsin for a number of years. But when I was seven, I when so we moved to Pennsylvania, uh, Whitehall, Pennsylvania, eastern side, about an hour north of Philly. Yeah. And I was there from seven years uh, through high school.
0: And is that where the appreciation and interaction with sports really took hold?
1: Yeah. You know, I think... Uh, you know, it probably I mean it's I'm sure it started earlier with my dad just going outside um uh, and, and throwing the ball around, you know, having catch. Uh, you know, because it's one of the simple joys in life and it's something that I love to do with my son. I, I wish he asked me a little bit more and got off the Xbox a little bit more nowadays, but uh, you know, it's one of those things where you can just go out there and play catch with your dad. I had an older brother um, that I was always trying to uh, maybe play play up to his level. He was about four years older than me. So uh, I was trying to hang around with his older buddies and uh, that started early. But you know, it really was at seven years old where I started playing, maybe organized youth sports. Um, and it wasn't because, oh, you know, I really want to play football and I really want to play basketball. I just moved to a new town. Uh, we moved in early September um, when I was seven and I remember the, we had the moving truck, we drove out from Wisconsin to Pennsylvania, we had the moving truck there. And in the new house, there's kids running up and down the street or riding their bikes or throwing the football around. And it was, it was September, and they asked if I wanted to play football. Well, you know, signups for that year had already been, had already gone on. Um, and they talked to a few people that they knew. And, uh, you know, me playing football in my first year in second grade was just all about, you know, making friends.
0: Yeah, what a nice story. You now, i got to ask this question because um, if you look at me, Dan, and you put me next to you, you are maybe two comparable. and a half. Just comparable. Two, well two and a half of, you're two and a half of me's.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't know if I like the word two and a
0: half. I <laughs> probably at about 400 pounds. Well, <laughs> you're lean and, and mean looking. But my point is, were you always a – like as a young kid, were you always a taller kid? Did you have a bigger reach? Were you a faster kid? Did Were you ambidextrous? You know, did you catch better than the other kids? Did you have a natural gifted inkling to this? You know, I think I was
1: naturally gifted athletically um, in whatever sport that I played, whether it was uh, – usually I played – I mean, I played the three main ones, football, basketball, and baseball in the spring. Yeah. Um, and that's what I basically did up to eighth grade um, when I went to freshman football. But I think I was naturally gifted and. You know, just could play the game and could could pick up things like nuances or um, was willing to do the dirty stuff too, rebound, pass, and basketball, and not maybe always the one to take the shot. But, you know, I like doing all the dirty work. But I also was a bigger kid. Um, we had weight classes growing up. I think it was 85, 90, 105, and 125. And I want to say fourth or fifth grade, I was one of the kids that was dieting. Just trying to make weigh-in, you know, like one of those wrestlers in in high school putting on the rubber sweatsuits and just trying to go in the sauna and lose five pounds before weigh-in. That was kind of what I would do and, uh, you know, sort of try and watch what I ate all week. And then you have a weigh-in before the game where, you know, it's probably not really the healthiest thing to do. You know, you eat your food. Nowadays, you know, it would probably be, you know, child abuse. Right. Um, going about it that way but you know you need to put the right food in your body and get the right energy but I was more like sucking weight for an hour before the game so I could just play the game and that's just how I was built I like to say I had a slow metabolism or you know fat weighed more than or bustle weighed more than fat that type of thing you know try and you know convince myself of that but I was just a naturally bigger guy you know I don't think I was necessarily taller than you know most of the kids probably average height um, but definitely a bigger guy.
0: So how did you react when you started playing organized sports to uh, being told what to do, being shown what to do? It's interesting because you talk about wanting to make friends. And I think one of the great things about being on a team and and love of teams is that you have an obligation to each other yeah. to rely yeah. on each other to be successful together. That takes give and take. You have to kind of leave your ego aside. Absolutely. But for a young kid, that's a whole new world, right? And so. Looking back on your journey, when did that first start to click for you? What was your first memories of being coached? And did anybody have any profound influences on you?
1: Uh, I I think, you know, me being a bigger guy, my first memories of were like the two laps around the football field when you first get there. And it was like you had conditioning was never my strong suit and probably never was going into the NFL But it was that nervous, anxiety, like, oh, man, I got to run two laps. And it's not because I wanted to um, or I chose to do it. It's because I was being told by my coach. Mm. Uh, And it was one of those things like, all right, you just, you sort of get used to, I don't want to say being told what to do, but at that age, it's, you've got to have a combination of things. I think one, it's about the kids, right? You want them to have a great experience that young. So it's about fun you know, make it fun for them. If you can teach them some skills along the way, simple fundamentals like, all right, how to block your hands inside or body position or how to catch a football, how to take a hand off, just, just little stuff like that. But a coach at that age should all about making it fun for the kids, having them try different positions, making sure they're playing in the game and not just standing on the sideline, right? Because everybody, you know, the fun thing about you know, I've involved in East Greenwich flag football now. Um, and, you know, last year we had from five-year-olds up. Um, we st- we added five-year-olds, but we started with seven and eight-year-olds. And, you know, some of those kids don't even know the right way to run. But the great thing about that is, and you see these kids, there's a, there's like a little point in the season where you see one kid just it clicks on them and they get something that you've been trying to tell them for weeks and they do the right thing or they make one catch or they make one tackle and flag and you should see the smile on their face. It's really about giving those kids the opportunity to go out there to learn some football, to have some fun, to run around, get some exercise. And if, you know, if they want to continue it when they get older and take it to another level, great. But if they don't, they had a chance to come out and play. And um, you know, really on, I, it, I think I had some. I had some really good coaches growing up um, in the youth league. Um, my high school coaches were really good, and you know, it's one of those things where I I, I like being coach.
0: And yeah, I like, why do you why do you like being coach?
1: I like being coach because it's their job, right? You know, it's you got to have trust that trust in the coach that one he's he's going to tell you the truth, and he's going to put you in the right position to win. You know, it. it Again, we can bounce from youth and high school. You know, youth is completely fun. It's not about winning, but there's going to be a certain point where that kid comes of age, and it's going to be a little bit more competitive, right? And you want to win. You have to have trust in that coach that he's got a passion for the game. He knows about the game. He knows how to teach the game, and he's going to try and put you and give you the best tools possible to win football games. And you don't win football games on your own. That's I mean, football is one of those. It's the ultimate team game. Um, you're not going to have a starting pitcher that's going to throw a no-hitter. Nobody else is going to, you know, touch the baseball. You know, on a defensive side of it, you don't have that Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or LeBron James that's going to take over a game. You know, you can't you can't pass the ball without the line. You can't run without the line. That quarterback can't make touchdown throws if the receiver doesn't catch it. Everything works together in football, and it's just you know it's just the ultimate team game. And if one thing's off, anything's off. You know, that play is not going to be successful. That, that game is not going to be successful.
0: You talked about having that anxiety before you take those laps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I met you a few days ago, and you were telling me about some other anxieties you had. And I'm seeing this recurring theme of, like, this tension before something happens, and then you getting to the other side of it after it's been resolved. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. You know that is that the pregame anxiety?
1: Yeah, well, I think nerves are natural. You know, I think if if, you know you get the uh, the butterflies in the stomach before a big test or a big meeting in in business or um, you know uh, you know the baptism of your kid. You know, really anything. Those big events in, in your life, you always have those butterflies going. That just means you're ready for it. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have that you know something's wrong then then you're in the wrong sport you know dante scarnecci was the offensive line coach for the patriots for a long time um, always told us you know you know if, if you don't have that especially going into a game on sunday or an AFC championship game you might as well be dead or you're in the wrong sport the wrong prof- profession because that means you doesn't you don't really care
0: mm. you
1: know, you're just throwing it out there and seeing how it falls but you know to have those anxieties to me, always told me this matters to me. And it's important how I do in this game. It's important, not only for me, it's more important that I do well for the guy next to me.
0: Yeah, that's admirable. Dan, you started off talking about the relationship with your dad and playing catch. And then you also talked about playing catch with your son. I think there's this really interesting thing that happens between parents, children, and coaches this triangle, right? And I saw it with my kids where I didn't know enough about each sport that my children played to really help them past ages seven, eight, nine, during mm-hmm. the fun stage. When it came to skill building, I really had to kind of back off yeah. and say, you know, listen to coach, what coach telling you. But the other thing that happened, which I found really interesting is there's the truth laid with me and my children because we trusted each other and we loved each other. Yep. But they also start to look up to this other person and say, "Um, coach is telling me this, coach is telling me that, and there's there's always a little bit of a check-in. Right, dad? Cool, dad? Right. Right? And so there's this transfer of trust between young, growing people and leaders, mentors. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that transfer. What happened with you and your dad growing up because a father and son relationship and the father and mother relationship is super important too I'm sure she was there to dress your wounds and make your oranges and to keep you hydrated and make sure you get in sleep right
1: yeah I, I got hurt my third year in the league I blew my shoulder out and my mom was the one who came up and stayed with me for a week after the surgery because I wasn't married then I was on my own um, and she helped me so yeah that that, that mother- son relationship there too nothing I, nothing I
0: replaces it. that
1: no and I see it with my kid too and uh and and my wife and you know you kind of want to nurture it's kind of it's it's funny because I, 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 I do you have girls too
0: i have a daughter i have a daughter who's going to be a freshman in college and then i have two boys in college so tell, me,
1: tell me if my theory is right so mine i think i'm harder on the boy and she's easier on the boy and i'm easier on the girls and she's harder on the girls
0: there's no doubt as a hundred percent what i do i treat my boys like you know, squirrels or raccoons growing up. I put them in a cage, I'd pull their ear, yeah. I'd grab them by the tail, and I'd say, how could you leave your dirty underwear on the floor? Right. So disrespectful for your mother. You think she wants that? Yeah. What's yeah. wrong with you? However, my daughter, I'm terrified of. Yeah. If she said, Daddy, no, I'd run away because I didn't want her to cry because I loved her so much. That I, I didn't grow up with a sister or anything, so I didn't know how to manage that whole thing. Yeah. But I was, I'm completely terrified by my daughter. I remember once my wife said, oh, by the way, pick up Honor. Her name's Honor. Pick her up from field hockey practice, and by the way, she's not going to her friend's house after practice. You just can take her right home. Yeah. And I said, "Well, does she know she's not going to her friend's house?" She's like, "No, you got to tell her." Oh uh, no, that's not And I, I was like, "Elizabeth, I don't know if I can do that." Yeah. She's like, "Well, she's 11. I mean, you can't do that." I don't want. To. I can't handle that.
1: I don't want to. I, yeah, I I had the same experience when my daughter was young. And my son's the oldest, so we had the whole thing. And you you try and be a little bit tougher on the son because you want him to grow up um, to be the man and respectful man that, you know, you envision. Um, So, and then then we had the girl and uh, she was probably three or four at the time or something. And she did something wrong. And my wife was on speaker on the phone with her in the car and on speaker. (laughs) She said, do you know what your daughter did? And all that stuff It's like, can you talk? And she did something just, stupid but then it's just like hey princess we don't act like that in my life it's just like really you just called her princess in that and you know it's just like you, yeah. like, you just can't yell at her right now it's not yeah. that's not my job that's your job yeah but, but to get to your question on the trust thing I think it's I think it's, I think it's important that you know you you're you let your son or you let people let their sons um, have trust in another individual um, especially like a coach, and you know that that coach has to check some boxes. You know, I guess nowadays, you know, you've got to, you've have to be able to trust him too, um, and you've got to be able to. And if you have an no, like a relationship with your son, and he's telling you what he's telling him the whole way along, and you agree, yeah, that's then then you're all for it. But you know, these guys are. Most of these coaches, and I had a basketball coach, Coach Nowak in in high school, and Coach Coca was my head football coach in high school. Coach Drula was my line coach. Uh, Coach Luckenbill was a defensive coach, but you know, he was my neighbor all growing up. So um, there was a close bond with all of those coaches, and they never steered me in the the wrong direction. They always tried to give me solid advice um, along the way um, that I took to heart. Um, You know, I like to think that. All these coaches are in it for the right reason because they're they're passionate about whatever sport that they coach. They're passionate about teaching young young kids how to play that how to play that game. And you know, like I said earlier, all of those lessons that you learn in sports and on team help you in life later on. You know, work ethic, discipline, accountability, time management. You know, those are all skills that they're going to use for the rest of their life. So if they can find a mentor or a coach that they they can latch on to at a young age or in high school that's that's just a good thing that's an that's, that's just an added benefit for them and, and for that family and the family. yeah
0: yeah i completely agree with you so as you transitioned through your high school experience you ended up at boston college mm-hmm. a lot of fun up in boston college did you live near the mods
1: <laughs> we were near near a few
0: uh you didn't live in a mod no a
1: number of years earlier before i got there some uh football players uh made sure that wasn't going to be happening ever again where um you had to you had to actually climb a rope to the second floor there were no more stairs in that mod that they were living in so football players were not allowed in mods
0: got it uh in the early 90s uh, my good friends were down in Boston college and i was lucky enough to have some fun nights down there. It's so, a good time. It's a good time down at the mods. Yeah. So how did that transition go for you from high school to, to college? I assume a little bit more intense?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, just a little bit. Right? And
0: yeah. by the way, it's a 40 hour a week job to be a football player. It's a 40-hour-a-week job to be a student.
1: Yeah, I think that's where time management
0: comes in, right? And if you don't succeed as a football player through college, you have better have been a good student. Right.
1: No, yeah, and I, and I mentioned Coach Coca before, and I started my varsity high school team as a sophomore. I probably started getting recruiting letters late that year, and in the ju- junior year, I didn't. I never played the sport, thinking I was going to go on to the next level. You know, I was. I tried. It's interesting. To, Why is that? Because I tried to focus on the present and enjoy enjoy what was going on right then and trying to give everything that I had to that coach or or the teammates at that point. And, you know, a lot of that stuff is out of your control. So why worry about what's coming up in three years or two years when it doesn't really matter. I'm not the one giving myself a scholarship. I can't tell that coach or recruiter to give it to me. I The only thing I can do right now is try and be the best student i can and be the best son i can and be the best football player i can or basketball player or baseball whatever sport i was playing at that moment and just sort of let everything take care of itself but coach coca was my uh high school football coach and he really gave me good advice um on picking a college and it really was hey go take your visits check it out but where would you be happy if you weren't playing football Mm. i really took the football side of it out almost it was important that yeah you meet the coach and you meet some of the players and you sort of fit that scheme but that's going to work itself out in the long run but i can't control if i don't get hurt i can't control if something happens where hopefully i'm not kicked off the team or whatever happens but i'm going to be there for four years and by the way i'm not even thinking about the professional level at this point you know where am i going to be happy where am i going to be able to Get an education, and you know, sort of set up the rest. You know, the next portion of my life. So that was my main thinking. um, Just picking a football, or picking picking at college.
0: What did you study at uh, Boston College? Accounting. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Well, yeah, that goes back to another mentor that I had, Coach Noack, and and he was a math teacher in high school. He was a basketball coach as well. And I developed a good relationship with him, and I told—I think I told him I wanted to be an engineer one time or something like that. And he's just no, he's like no, that's not for you. I I like the science thing, I like the math thing, I like numbers. Writing definitely wasn't the strong suit, but he's like no, I can see you in business, and accounting was just one of those things—such a broad field. You get it. A, you know, you get you get an education in, you know, the marketing, the accounting, you know, and the finance and the taxes. And so it was a broad business field, and uh, I figured that was the best way to go. Yeah,
0: it's a wonderful trade.
1: Yeah, no, not going to be a CPA, but, you know, there, there's some background for uh, some other opportunities, hopefully.
0: So a little bit about the next step in the uh, transition you you have a college career and then you make the ultimate transition to professional sports. So again, how did that uh, ratchet up in terms of relationships with coaches? Also, from what I can tell and what I read, you had this somewhat silent leadership position being yeah. part of the offensive line for the Patriots. Yeah, yeah. I, how did that how yeah. did that happen? Or or where did you see that? How's that dynamic work? Well, o- opening up opportunities for leadership, and how do you, yeah, how do you I, figure I, that
1: I, out? I, I think there's there's different ways to be leaders. You know, and you see now, especially now, like oh, everybody's all these captains are being named, and you know, captains are there and they have a purpose. But really, everybody on that team can be a leader, and it doesn't have to be a vocal leader. Um, you know, I like. I, i'm not the most vocal guy out there you know i just i want to go out there i want to work hard i want to i want to do the right thing i don't want to make mental errors um and i want to win so i mean if i can sh- go out there and i'm not who uh, you know hollering and giving the yee-haws and you know just yelling at people but you know i'm working my butt off that's that's as good as a leader as anybody out there so that's really where my leadership was and just making sure my unit um, was on the same page. And the, the offensive line is one of those units that has to be on the same page to succeed. So, you know, everybody's responsible for, you know, you talk about line calls and, you know, you know, the, the center supposedly gets labeled the quarterback of, of the offensive line. That's true in a lot of respects. Um, but the truth is everybody's responsible for their own, their own calls, their own blocking. Um, I'm just sort of there making sure everybody's on the same page. I get everybody set up. And if somebody I'm, I'm listening, but if someone makes a wrong call, I, I mean, nope, that's not right, we're, gonna, we're doing it this way. So we, we sort of look, tried to work as one, see the game through the same set of eyes. And we always, Coach Scar always had a, I had a saying, like, I'd rather have five guys doing the wrong thing than four guys doing, you know, the the right thing and one guy doing, you know, the wrong thing or, you know, just like mix-match, mix-matching. So five guys are blocking the same thing. We got a better chance to succeed than four guys doing it. There's no chance because one guy's doing another thing. Four guys are doing a thing. As long as we're still in sync, it's got got a chance to succeed. And I did mess up that quote. My wife always tells me I mess up quotes and all that stuff but um, but if that makes sense like we just we needed to be on the same page and that unit needs to work you know and that took that takes time you know and we, we had a group that together was was together for about six years and by the end of it you know we were making just stupid calls out there just just to mess with the defense and we didn't have to say anything you know we just I knew where those guys were going to be they knew where I was going to be so it, it really gets fun as you grow as a unit and get to know one another and get to know each other's different skills and capabilities and, you know, just what they're thinking mentally. I could, you know, tell you, uh, you know, what Tommy was going to do or when he wanted the ball before he wanted it just by his, just by his
0: voice and his flexion in the voice. Yeah. What a, what a remarkable experience that must have been. What was it like playing for, you know, one of the most high-profile coaches in the business? Which Belichick? It was. It was awesome.
1: You know, is it awesome? Is you know, he awesome? You know,
0: he's he what? What a character into himself. Uh, he's so serious, and yeah. uh, it. You know, on those press conferences, a man of very few words, a man of very little patience. He has a remarkable uh, ability to win. So yeah. clearly, he's got a process and a formula that takes his resources his offensive linemen, his receivers, his running backs, his staff, and transforms those resources into a winning formula.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's he, he's a great guy to play for, and he's, a, he's not a great guy to play for, because he demands a lot out of you. Um, he expects a lot, um, maybe more than you think you are able to give. But it's, it's pretty simple with him, beyond time. You know, don't do anything stupid and put the team first. I mean, really, it's those three things. Be on team time. Don't mess up and put the team first and you'll be fine. Now, whether you make the team or not, you know, that's, he always says it's not his decision. You know, what you put, the product you put out on the practice field and in scrimmages and preseason games, that's up to you. He doesn't make those decisions. Whatever you do out there is the decision. You know, it's not, it's not him. He's just judging you on what, how you perform. Um, but he's very demanding. Um, he's a grind. Um, you know, I played for him for nine years and I went somewhere else after two years and experienced something different, but the, at that level, it's about winning, you know, what it really is. And he has a structure and he has a philosophy on how he wants to run his organization and he sticks to it. And it's about, him finding the right guys that fit into that organization, organizational strategy, or um, um, or uh, or culture that he wants to form. Now, I mean, do you have to be that always? No. I mean, we've had you know Corey Dillon, Corey Dillon, Randy Moss. You know, those outliers that you know maybe were troublemakers. ever, ever you know everywhere else, they were great football players, but got a bad rap somehow, Uh, Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson, whatever his last name is now. You know, those guys, when they came into that locker room and that culture, they weren't problems. They knew exactly what was expected from them from the start, whether they talked to Bill about it or they saw how we spoke in the media and what we expected from, you know, really anybody in our locker room, or they just came in and saw how we ran things. Um, So, you know, most of those guys that came in, You know, they just, they just really fit in because Bill had built this culture of how he wanted that to run. And he let the players sort of govern that within the locker room.
0: And is that the halo of great leadership? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, if you can, you can get a bunch of people in there that have one common goal and really, you know, function as one and keep everything in house and deal with it and are able to talk about things, maybe even difficult things and handles, you know, just anything, anything and not let anything out of the bag. You know, that's, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. It sounds like an awesome experience. You guys had a lot of success together. I gotta,
1: so, hey, I, I, Gary, I got to tell you though, when we were in the 2007 season though, when we <laughs> we went 16 and 0, yep. yeah, we didn't win the last one. And then, that will forever haunt me and be in my nightmares. Um, but I got to tell you, that was one of the hardest seasons that we ever had. Why is that? And he coached hard. He coached us hard this year. He knew he had a veteran group. He knew that group could take it. We would come in on Monday after blowing out Buffalo 50-7 to 7 or whatever the score was or Washington, crushing them. I swear to God, we lost the game. He would nitpick every little thing that we did. And just, nope, not good enough. Not good enough to beat our next opponent. And It was week after week after week of just grinding us. And, and you know, he sort of judges that on what
0: type of team he has. He's fun. And, and you feel that that was appropriate for the veterans he had? I think he could do it with that group, yes. Yeah.
1: Maybe it. Didn't, maybe not another team. You know, he's going to look and coach every team differently. Um, in the end, he's going to do what he feels is best. He's the captain of the ship. That's just the way it goes. But uh, he really did. He, he coached every team differently based on what he had.
0: Now that you're um, retired from professional sports, what are you doing in terms of uh, – you, you talked a little bit about the Flag Football League. I know you were involved in Bishop Hendrick for a period of time. Unfortunately, during this whole COVID uh, you know, pandemic, there is no contact football in Rhode Island right now. Right. It's kind of a kind of bummer for everybody, but I understand it. So what are you doing uh, with your time as it relates to youth sports or mentorship and. uh,
1: You know, know. I'm I'm involved with my kids. Um, So really whatever um, that they, they choose to play, uh, you know, I'd like to be with them uh, every step of the way, or as long as they'd have me. Um, You know, it is fun to be down there on the sideway. And there's something to be said just in the stands, watching it and just enjoying watching your kid play. So I think I get to do both. My kid plays hockey as well. So I'm in the stands, I know nothing. I don't know how to skate. I know I know, I know the sport, but I don't know how to skate. I don't know how to coach it. So uh, it's just fun to watch him, you know, trying to not be a homeschool teacher uh, this year with the, with the whole COVID thing going on. And hopefully we can get back to normal with school and get these kids back to in-person learning and, um, Get them around their friends uh,
0: and socialization so important really, so
1: that's something that they, they,
0: they've missed for a long time totally agree with you and i miss it as an adult i miss working yeah. with my peers i miss i miss all the social interactions that we yeah, have no, you, can't even, you can't even have anybody in that office
1: that you guys got now it's hard it's hard we're, we're going to
0: reopen in october october first we're going to we're going to try and fill it up with a safe distancing and protocols but my, my last question to you dan and i'm so grateful for the time you've invested with us today is Thinking back on all the games you played and the practices that you went to, you experienced a lot of losses and a lot of wins. Mm -hmm. Which did you gain more from, the losses or the wins? Oh, um, yeah, I
1: have to say the losses. You know, it's really, I think.
0: You won a Super Bowl, you won two of them
1: yeah and there i honestly don't know that's one of those things that really it doesn't sink in for years i don't think it's really fully as sunk in what that means um but i was always one of those guys and i think a lot of um really uh, i think a lot of professional athletes and college athletes or even high school players that really take it seriously um gain more from the losses because even if you win the game the I was always the one oh I did this right I did this right yeah this was a great play I always remembered the two plays that I messed up you know it was like ah oh, you know I should have had that block or I went the wrong way on this this play, or I went to the wrong guy it was never it was never about the stuff I did well yeah I was happy we won but I always thought back how can I make myself better um, and when you do that you know the losing really helps um because you sort of figure out how not to lose um you know when we went to uh, it was 05 season when we lost the afc championship game uh to the colts my first two years we won back-to-back super bowl so i i was a young kid i didn't know what the hell was going hey this happens every year we just won <laughs> super bowls around here got <laughs> to be the luckiest guy in the world to walk into the nfl and, and do that so the fact that To learn from those two Super Bowls, I think it'd be kind of naive. But we did. We lost the – actually, it was 06 because I got hurt in 05. We lost to Denver in the playoffs um, in the divisional round, I think. But the next year, we lost to the Colts in the AFC Championship game. And we were up big at halftime, and they came back and beat us. And and that next year, it was like, okay, we didn't do the right things. How do we get better? How do we get to where we want to go? We want to go to the Super Bowl. So we didn't finish that season off the right way. And there's a lot of, we made uh, mental mistakes down the, uh, down, down at the uh, critical moments of the game, um, made basically a last drive. Uh, we made a uh, 12 men on the field uh, that cost us a first down to seal the game. Um, so that game taught us that, you know, we just can't. Like stand on our laurels. You know, we we gotta we gotta go out, we gotta finish, we gotta earn. And that whole next year was about finishing the season. We got to the next game, the Super Bowl. Um, we've already talked about what happened in 07. but you know, that was a learning 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 period for us. And you know, it just learn a lot more when when
0: when it doesn't go right.
1: Yeah. You know, just business right. is the
0: same way. Right. You take these steps forward right. and each step is a success of failure. Yeah until you have enough failure so you can take the last step which is success
1: yeah i love i love how you just like you try new things and it takes like three times as long and then you everything just like why did i do that the first time what the hell was i thinking and then you know it's, it's about learning experiences and trying to you know cut down the time that you're spending on it and make it more efficient and um the only way to do that is to try. So if you're if, you, if you're honestly not losing you're not trying
0: anything new. Bingo. Uh super great to talk to you today Dan. Thanks so much great. for joining us and you uh too. look forward fun. to continuing the conversation maybe another time. Love it. Take care buddy. You too man. You've been listening to On the Whistle. For more, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit us at onthewhistle.com.